We have, over these last couple of weeks, been delving into a particular sermon that Jesus preaches that uh, we call today, or often call today, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this is such a crucial uh, launching point for the ministry of Jesus Christ. And what he is doing throughout this sermon and uh, throughout this this message that he is that he is teaching to all of his disciples and all those who have gathered there on that day he is he is really for the very first time releasing to us and to those who are present what it means to bring heaven to earth he's teaching us about kingdom culture and that's that's the series that we are in Right now, it's, it's kingdom culture. And this is really what Jesus, his ministry was doing, was bringing a culture that is a heavenly culture down here to earth because he was establishing the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus came to do, was to establish the kingdom of heaven. Not something that we are looking forward to, although... There is the completion of the kingdom of heaven that we all are looking forward to. And I hope that you yourself are are looking for that day when we will uh, all be together in heaven. But we ought to be experiencing heaven on earth. Because that's what Jesus, what he was doing in his ministry, but also that was the role of the church is to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, we're going to get to that passage here today. Uh, and, but I, I want to just, just want to just talk about this cult, this word culture first or kingdom culture. Because that's, it's a good question. What is kingdom culture? See, philosophy and, and faith, these are, the frameworks, so these are the, these are the worldviews in life that determine the values that, that we have or the beliefs that we live by. Everyone has a certain set of beliefs or a faith in something or, or in someone. And our worldviews, our values, our beliefs, these are the things that they, they drive our motivation and they, they help answer our why in life. Why am I here? That's a good question that all of us should ask. Why am I here? I just heard it recently uh, said, I don't remember who it was that said this, but they said there were two, uh, two, important, two of the most important times of my life is the day that I was born and the day that I discovered why I was born. Those are the two most important things for, my, for me. That the day that I was born when I came into this earth. But then when I discovered why I was born. For what purpose I was born. Then I could really start living life. And we all, when we, when we understand the kingdom culture. What, why we are here. What the purpose is that, that we were created for. That ought to light a fire under us to say, hey, I finally know what the goal is. I finally know what my aim is. And that's what 
Jesus was trying to establish for us was to say, hey, your goal here is is to have a a worldview that is not self-centric, but it's kingdom-centric. It's not about how can I get ahead, but it's how can I build the kingdom? How can I establish what Jesus Christ came to establish here on earth? And, and it's all about our values. It's all about, um, that's what culture is built on. Culture is built on values and the beliefs, the way that we, the way that we live. And this is what Jesus was doing. And so what Jesus did is he was coming to the Jewish people, God's people. And these, if you understand the Jews, they were very, they were so different the way that they, they lived their life. They stood out from everybody else. They were unlike the rest of the world. Uh, they, they were scorned for that. They were persecuted because of that. They, at the time when Jesus, uh, came, came to earth, when he was living here on the earth, they were, uh, under the, under the rule of the Roman Empire. And they were, uh, somewhat pariahs within the Roman Empire because they themselves did not bow down to Caesar. They themselves did not uh, give themselves to the, the Roman culture like so many of the cultures around them did. They were different. And yet these people who were different, these people who uh, stood out from among everybody, when Jesus came and began to preach with authority and began to introduce the kingdom culture, he introduced something that made them, the people who are different, uncomfortable. Because his teachings were saying it's not just about the things you do, but it's about the motivation behind what you do. Motivation matters. We see that here as we get into Matthew chapter 6, that motivation matters. And this morning we're going to get into really three different spiritual disciplines that Jesus talks about here in uh, in this passage of of his sermon, Matthew chapter 6. There's three different uh, spiritual disciplines that he covers. And uh, I want you to notice that as we we look through these these scriptures, and we're just going to highlight three, three scriptures real quickly before we dive into the whole passage uh, but these these three scriptures, as as we'll see, Jesus he really is not urging the people to do these disciplines. The expectation is that they're already doing them. The expectation is that these are things that that they already had as part of their life, and so it's not an urging of Jesus to do them. Although that's implicit in there, that we ought to be doing these things. And we'll see in Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at verse 3. It says, when thou doest alms. It means when you give. This is talking about your finances. It's talking about your money. That when you give. It's not an urging to give. He's just saying, when you give. And we'll see what Jesus is going to talk about in giving. Skip down to verse 5. He says, when thou prayest. It's not an urging for them to pray. It's just that when you pray, this is part of your routine. This is part of your daily life. That when you pray, and he'll give instructions for prayer. And then in verse 16, he says, moreover, when ye fast. 
Now that one, maybe a little more so than the other, stung just a little bit because Jesus also had the expectation that it was just part of what they did. That when you fast, and he will give instructions for what they ought to do when you fast. So they didn't need the instruction from Jesus to convince them to give or to convince them to pray or to convince them to fast. But Jesus is going to to dive into the motivation that's behind each of these things. And so I want to back up to verse number one of Matthew chapter six. And here Jesus is going to get into this first discipline, which is giving spiritual discipline of giving back to God what belongs to God. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. And I know that money, possessions, these things, this is a sensitive topic. But Jesus himself did not shy away from the topic of finances and money. This is, this is more than just about giving. Even in this passage here, the, he's extending this even beyond just our giving of our finances. This is, many modern translations make it clear that Jesus is referring to pra- practicing your righteousness before other people. This is, it, it's in giving anything, but that does not exclude the giving of our finances. That is uh, very much so what giving of your alms was talking about was Giving from what you have in your pocketbook to somebody else and to the church. The practice of giving alms, it was associated um, even with, with giving to charities, giving to those who are in need, giving to the poor. And and I, I, I love, uh, if anybody has read Brother Stokely's uh, Facebook post this week and Remind me, what's, what's the, the man's name, the gentleman's name? That, Timothy. He, uh, this week, met, uh, or just driving to work, uh, drove by a, a, a man who was along the road, and he stopped by, felt the, felt the urging of his spirit to stop and to help this, this man that uh, looked in, in kind of rough shape, and he gave to him, he, he, he allowed him to, or dropped him off at a laundromat, gave him money to, to wash all of his clothes, went by back, went back to pick him up and to help him down the road even further and just he was ministered to uh, himself but but that this is this is giving of of yourself giving of your alms to help somebody else and Jesus here he's he's saying in verse 1 he says that you need to make sure that you're doing this for the right reasons in fact, I don't often go to the message version in our Bible studies, but this morning I do want to go back and just to read that verse, verse 1, in the message version. Because he says here, he says, be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. See, the Greek word that Jesus used, the Greek word that uh, is translated um, in, in the King James Version as uh, being seen of them, is this word, is this Greek word, 
Thea, uh, let's see, what is it here? Theamo, theamai. Uh, and this is the word, this is where we get our English word, theater. See, Jesus, he is identifying our most common temptation in, the, in this area of spiritual discipline. Actually, in a lot of areas of spiritual discipline. It's not just giving. What's this temptation to craft a public image that is vastly different from our private life? It's this, this temptation for us to, to look good for others, and yet God really knows what's in the heart. It's to put forth a public image that says, hey, I'm, I'm great here and here and here and here. And, you know, you should, you know, building ourselves up to look great. It's, it's theater. And he says we have to be careful that we're not putting on a theater production. Because I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this for the person sitting next to me. I'm doing this for God. And God knows the intentions of my heart. So Jesus, he's not instructing us in this passage to be givers or, or even later on to be prayer warriors or to be faithful fasters. He's, he's teaching us about the motivation behind those disciplines. And he says it can't be good theater. It has to be motivated by your love for God. God's not going to be fooled by your performance. God's not going to be fooled by that. See, the practice of our spiritual disciplines it has to be motivated by the right thing. Amen? So before we, before we go much further, we ought to ask, well, why is it that spiritual disciplines in general are so important? And here's the answer. It's because they help us to conquer our old nature. All of us struggle just because you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, just because you have been born again, does not mean that you do not still struggle with your flesh. All of us still struggle with our flesh. All of us still struggle in areas, uh, in different, different areas spiritually. And we get three different areas, three particular areas in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 where it, it highlights three areas of spiritual struggle. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. Everybody say, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. Say, the lust of the eyes. Let's try that again. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. Say, the pride of life. Okay. These three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are not of the Father. These are of the world's. These are three basic areas that all of us struggle with in, in our spiritual walk. And so here we have Jesus addressing these three areas with three different spiritual disciplines that we have, uh, that we ought to implement within our life. And so this one here in Matthew chapter 6, uh, let's, let's continue on to verse 2, when he's talking about giving, he says, Therefore, when thou, when thou doest thine alms... Don't sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and as they do in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy alms may be in secret. In other words, 
When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it. Just do this quietly. Do it not not for other people. And then thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So did you know that the Bible talks more about giving than it does about heaven and hell combined? (laughs) Did you know that over half of the parables that Jesus told have to do with the subject of money? Did you know that there are more promises in the Bible that are related, connected to giving than there is to any other subject in Scripture? So giving is a very important discipline that helps us to conquer the lust of the eyes. See, the lust of the eyes is you saying, looking at something and saying, I want that. I desire to have that. I I want something that I don't have right now. In this area, the spiritual discipline of giving helps us to conquer this area of struggle. Because giving conquers our lust for stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's park there for a minute. In verse 17, it says that, it tells us to teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. For their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. God has given us all that we need. Let's trust in God. By giving, now giving, this isn't going to be a, a whole Bible study that's just on the subject of giving, but, uh, but, but giving has multiple parts of giving. You have the aspect of not really giving, but rather returning to God what is His, and that's our tithes. That's really not giving. That is, that is the tenth that belongs to God, and so we return the tithe back to God. And above and beyond the tithe, we see in Scripture this area of giving of offerings. And offerings were there for the ministry of the church. You have you have the uh, you have the the, the, the tithes that, that go and that's that's able to go and to, to bless the, the church, the advancement of the kingdom. But but then you have the offerings that that gets into some other areas of yourself where you are giving sacrificially. Where you say, you know what, I could I could skip that coffee that I get every Tuesday morning on my way to work this week. And I'm going to dig into my pocketbook and, and drop just a little bit more change in the offering plate. Not just change, but I'm going to drop a few more bills in the offering plate. That coffee isn't going to cost a little bit of change. You know, we used to, we used to uh, get in our wallet and you'd get that $1 bill and you'd put that in the offering plate. And that does, really doesn't go very far outside the church anymore. You can't even, and it was, it was for the longest time, you could at least get a, a sweet tea at McDonald's for a dollar. You can't even get a large sweet tea at McDonald's for a dollar anymore. 
price on everything and 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 just that that little bit of money that that we have that's uh, that that little bit of offering that you drop in the plate that's uh god God deserves our best. God deserves us giving sacrificially. God deserves us us actually feeling it a little bit when we give unto the Lord. I I want I want not to be known for my stuff, but I want to be known for being able to give to the advancement of the kingdom of God. I don't need to be known for the stuff that I accumulate. Amen. Let's trust God who richly gives us all that we need. If we continue on in First Timothy, verse 18, teaches us about how giving conquers the lust for me. It says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. They should be generous to those who are in need. Always being ready to share with others. We have this temptation oftentimes to just have everything for myself. Or to to think of, of myself first. But in the kingdom culture, it's not about self, but it's about the kingdom. It's about others. And that's why... We get this instruction in Timothy that's saying in the area of giving, in the area of finances with your money, let's, let's not think about ourselves, but let's willingly share with others who are in need. We saw this perhaps to the extreme extent in, in the book of Acts, uh, where it's, uh, Acts chapter two at the end of Acts two, where it says that they, they all gave, uh, everything. They sold everything and they gave it and they just distributed it, everything amongst the church. So that everybody had something. So that everybody was, was just sharing, um, sharing their, uh, their, their earthly possessions. So giving, it, it helps us to conquer this lust for me. Giving also conquers the lust for now. Immediacy. In verse 19, it goes on to say, By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. That is where our treasure ought to be stored up. It's not in earthly possessions, but it's in heavenly possessions. Those are the things that will not fade away. So giving helps us to conquer the lust for now. The fourth thing that giving does is it proves that God is my source. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, it tells us that it tells us to bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven. I will pour out a blessing that is so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. And then he, he just tells us, try it. That encouragement there, try it. If you don't do it now, try it. Try God, test God in this area. Put me to the test. And once you see God do it, amen. If you, if you've seen God show up when you are faithful in your giving, just put your hands together. Amen. So giving helps us to conquer the lust of the flesh. Or I'm sorry, the lust of the eyes. Uh, when you, when you pray, so we're going to continue on. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter six. Let's continue on in Jesus, his instruction here, beginning in verse five. 
When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say to you that they have their reward. But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. In other words, go and find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to just do a lot of role play for God. God's not interested in our role play. God's not interested in the theatrics. Just be there as simply, just be there as, as, as honestly as you can manage. In the, in the message version here of this scripture, it says that when you do this, that the focus will shift from you to God. That by going into your closet, by, by not doing this for somebody else, by, by not trying to, or by, by having the right motivations, the focus of your prayers shift from yourself to God. What do you want me to pray for? God, what is your need in the kingdom right now? God, how can I be used by you to be a vessel that could impact your world? God, how can I be used right now? And it's not about myself. I, I may have a million things that I could list to you right now that I want you to take care of. But it's not about me. I just want to be used in your kingdom. And what is it that I could pray? What is it that I could declare right now in the name of Jesus so that it could be done? What could I accomplish in the kingdom of God right now? And so this is what happens when we get the motivation right. Motivation of our spiritual disciplines. Let's continue on. Just three more verses here. It says, when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you even ask of him. And he goes on and says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. So prayer, it's this important discipline because what prayer does is it helps us to conquer this area of the pride of life. The pride of life is saying, I'm in charge. I'm the one who gets to make all the decisions. It's all about me. That's the pride of life. And I want you to notice two things about the instructions that Jesus gives us. One is that we are taught how not to pray before we are taught how to pray. That we need to have the right attitude in our prayer. But then we also need to have the right approach in our prayer. So he's first talking about how not to pray or the, ad, the right attitude that we ought to have when we enter into a time of prayer. And so he's addressing that, the motivations that are behind it. It's not for somebody else to see. I don't pray for, for somebody else to, to see the, the great oratory words that I can spew out of my mouth. If they listen to me, they're just going to hear a bunch of me messing up my words and all that. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we're, we're speaking to God. I, I'm just, I just want to come, just, just pray for God to hear me. But, but then also there's a right approach to how to pray. And we're going to get into this Lord's prayer in just a minute. 
But the second thing is that Jesus isn't condemning these repeated requests. I want you to notice this. That Jesus is, is not telling us that we, we shouldn't uh, continue praying. When he says, don't pray with vain repetitions, he's not saying here that we can't pray for the same thing several times. What he's meaning by vain repetitions here is, is to, it's a Greek uh, phrase that is to speak without thinking or I don't know, to, be, to be a broken record, I guess you could say in our, in our lingo today. Just to, just to speak, just to, to, to continue just saying the same things over and over and over in your prayer. If you, if all, if all that you say in your prayer, Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's a good name to call, but let's actually pray a prayer. Let's actually speak some words out to Jesus. Our words in our time of prayer can accomplish things that will move mountains. It will, it will dispel fear. It can, it can release anointing. So let's pray prayers in our, in our words that, that they can have impact here on this world or in this world. Let's not just speak vain repetitions. And for them, they would even have like certain prayers that they would pray. It's not just, they were, they, they especially the ones he was talking to were not saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, cause they were the ones that, uh, would crucify Jesus, but but they they would have certain prayers that they would pray, and they would just say these same things over and over and over and over. But let's let prayer be from the heart, and not just from the heart, but but from God's heart. That's really where the prayers come from. It's God's heart. I want I want my spirit to be connected with Him so that I can pray His will to be done. But let's let's get into what Jesus would um, would lay out for his disciples in what we often call the Lord's Prayer. Really, I would say this is more so the disciples' prayer. Uh, this is something that he's teaching them to pray. And it's not something for us to simply repeat. That's a lot of what what Christianity today is, has made this prayer, is just something that they would repeat the exact words that Jesus would say. And I wouldn't say that that's uh, you know, a terrible thing to do. We can, it's, it's okay to repeat the words, but really what Jesus was doing here was to give us an outline for how to pray. It's not simply just to pray these, these words, but let's pray, uh, with the understanding of what Jesus was trying to teach us with this outline for prayer. And so we're going to see uh, six different areas that Jesus addresses or six different things that we can do to get a grip on prayer. Six ways to get a grip on prayer. I think we have a slide for this, this here, these six different areas. The first area is praise. We'll see seven up here. It's because it begins with praise and it ends with praise. But the first area is praise. He says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, be thy name. Holy be your name. This is an area of praise. And it's a, it's a way to begin your time of prayer is to, is to speak on the, the, the holiness of God or to praise God for who he is and what he's done. Let's give God praise. This is, this is a great way to start your time of prayer. The next is to, is to, um, to have a purpose in your prayer. He says, thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Notice this isn't my kingdom come and my will be done, but it is thine. We're talking to God. Lord, I want your purpose to be done. The provision. Give us this day our daily bread. And I have need of you today. And I, I need you in my life. Give us this day our daily bread. And then there's the pardon, this pardoning uh, aspect of prayer where we're asking God, forgive me of my sins. And I need to find a place of repentance. I need to find an altar of repentance and ask for forgiveness of my sins or my debts, the debts that I owe. And the people that we would also interact with, it says, as we forgive our debtors. This isn't just a vertical alignment or a vertical relationship between us and God, but it's a horizontal relationship between us and the people around us. And we need to get that right as well. So let us, God, would you forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, the people that we interact with? The last thing is this prayer of protection. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Then we end in an area of prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I saw some who were taking out their phones or taking a picture of this. I should have had a, had a uh, handout with this. But here's, a, here's maybe an easy way for us to remember these things. Everybody, could you just hold out one of your hands? Just hold out one of your hands. If we could throw that next slide up here. You have... The first thing that you do, I see it's really good. We have a lot of these hands that are extended up. And that's what we do first. You have that whole hand that's extended up in praise. So you begin with your, with your hand extended and you have that extended with praise. And then if you go to your thumb, that thumb, just do a thumbs up. Okay? I'm praying for God's approval. I'm praying, God, I, I want not my purpose to be done, but I want your purpose to be done. Thumbs up, God, I want your approval. You extend that pointer finger out, that pointer finger, what that does, that's pointing to the things that I want. Now, it's not just about the things that I want, but really, it's provision for the things that I need. It's pointing to the things, God, and I need this. And it's okay to pray for things that you need. It's okay to pray for provision. It's, it's okay to pray, God, God would you, would you uh, just help me in this area of need right now? And you can point to some things of need in your life. You, so, so you can point to some things. You have that area of, of pardon. That's the longest finger. If you look at your, your hands, all, that out, all your fingers outstretched, you have your, your middle finger. That's the longest finger in your hands. And, and you have some areas of your life where you just went too far. Some areas of your life where, where you, where you extended beyond an, air, an area of grace or extended into, into some things that, that, and you stepped into some things of, uh, that you need forgiveness for. And so it's, it's a great time to just stop and say, Lord, would you forgive me? Lord, would you help me in this area right now? God, would you pardon my debts? God, would you pardon me? The next area is that, that ring finger. On that ring finger, that's that symbol of relationship. And you have people, as I said, you have a vertical relationship with God, but you have a horizontal relationship with people. And there's relationship 
that needs to take place. And there's forgiveness sometimes that we need to extend to others. Or there's, there's just praying for somebody else's needs. And so, and so let's, uh, let's be focused, uh, let's have intentional prayer time that is focused on other people around us, the relationships that we have. Then you have that, that pinky finger. It's the weakest finger, at least especially for me, because I have like two broken bones in my body and it's both of my pinkies. And for some reason, and, uh, and that's that weakest finger. And, and, and all of us have weak areas of temptation in our life. All of us have areas of weakness that we need. God, I need your help right now. Uh, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. And I need your strength. Out of my areas of weakness, I need you to be strong. I need you to come in and to help me right now. And so let's, and, and then it ends up continuing with that hands lifted up in praise. We end it with that area of praise. And so I think this is just a great way for us to, to model, um, or to, to remember the model of prayer that Jesus laid out for us in the Lord's prayer, the disciples prayer. Amen. I just saw the time and I, I am coming to, to a close here, but if our uh, musicians could come. There, I believe uh, it's, it's really good what Jesus, or not just really good, it's crucial what Jesus then leaves, uh, leaves us with in this area of prayer, the spiritual discipline of prayer. He leaves us these two um, remaining verses. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, what he's doing is he's connecting the teaching, or he's connecting um, the, the things that are in heaven with the things that are here on earth. The kingdom values that are in heaven with what we should be establishing here on earth. The forgiveness that we get from God in heaven ought to also be present in our forgiveness of men here on earth. Let's let the kingdom culture be established within the church. Amen. Let's, let's just finish out just this last, very last passage, this last spiritual discipline that Jesus uh, goes into, which is talking about fasting. Verse 16, he says, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites who are of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say to you that they have their reward, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. See, fasting is an important discipline because it helps us to conquer the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is saying, I need this. My flesh is saying, I need this. Fasting, it's negative for the flesh, but it's really a positive thing for the spirit. It intensifies your prayer life like nothing else can. Fasting, it, it helps us to get a focus on off of the things that we think we need. The lust of the flesh, this, these things that we say, I need this, I need this, I need this. And, 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 and particularly, I mean, we, have, we all have the need. We all have to have food. But to realize, hey, I can do without food for a while. I can fast. I can set aside some time where it's fasting. And I'm doing it for the right reasons so that I can get my mind focused on what God 
minutes. And I don't want to bend your will. That's not the purpose of my fast. But it's to put my will in alignment with your will. My needs in alignment with your needs. See, fasting is done for the purpose of allowing allowing God to come into these areas of weakness and to give us strength. To come in and begin to, to help us to, to rearrange some things in our life that have gotten off kilter. I had some scriptures. You can read them later. But in Isaiah chapter 58, verses 4 through 11, he, he's talking about this area of fasting. And, and he's saying we need to do it with the right motivation. That not all fasts are, are created equal. And I believe this, is, this encompasses every one of these spiritual disciplines. That let's do it for the right reason. Now, disciplines are not easy. They're not instinctive. These spiritual disciplines, they need to be developed. They need to be strengthened over time. Just as, just as our muscles grow, and I'm wrapping up with this, just as our muscles grow, our spiritual life, our spiritual muscles that also grow the more and more that we practice them. The more and more that we are consistent with it. You can go to the gym and you can get a really good workout in. You can go and you can bench press the most weight that you've ever bench pressed. You can go and you can run 10 miles. You can go and and get the best workout in your life. But if you do it just that one time and then you don't go back for another month, that one workout didn't really do you much good. It's the consistency. It's the consistent effort of your discipline. And the same is true in our spiritual life. The consistent effort, the consistency of our spiritual disciplines is really what God is after. And so let's, let's let us not be ones who would just go once, but let's, let's be, as it says in the book of James, chapter 4, to draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Amen. Why don't we just, in this place, we're, we're not going to go into a, a, a song here as we close, but let's just all stand. And I want us just to pray as all of us, are, um, some of these students are coming in, they're joining us here today. I just want us to lift up holy hands, to lift up hands here in this place and just say, God, I pray that you would just strengthen me. God, that you would just help me today, Lord, in these areas where I'm lacking. God, in these areas, Lord, where, where I find myself, Lord, it's, it's not because I'm a bad Christian. It's not because, Lord, I, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to go, uh, off, off the path. But Lord, there's, there's areas, Lord, where I need to shore up. There's areas where I need to make sure that I'm being consistent in my disciplines. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be able to conquer the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life that can just creep in. But Lord, you have given us the tools. God, and you've helped us to identify the motivations that ought to uh, propel us, Lord, to do these things. So Lord, today, help us. Help us today as a church, as a collective body of Christ, Lord, to honor you with our whole hearts, and our minds, our souls, all the strength that is in me. Lord, I want to give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. God bless you. Amen. Why don't you just